Uh, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word. If you would, find Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 29. It's in your uh, bulletin. It's up on the screen behind me. We're going to read this aloud together. This is our last week in the Sermon on the Mount since April, only just since April. We've been going through this uh, bit by bit. So we're going to read God's Word aloud together if you join me. In everything, therefore... Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and it fell. And great it was caught. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of you will know the name Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham uh, famously is a writer, comedian, director, musician who produced uh, a film back in May of 2021. I want you to remember that, May of 2021. Very significant. The, the movie is called Inside, and it's replicates what many of us experienced during the pandemic. And it's become extremely popular because in the film, Burnham is in this one room for the entire movie and it's just him acting. There's all these amazing kind of light tricks that he does to make it uh, transform the lighting in the room to create different scenes. His writing is really smart and snarky and painful and great social commentary and also filled with some suicidal ideations. It's, it's a really complex movie. And here's what's fascinating to me about the movie, though. Um, came out during the pandemic, replicates and speaks to the experience of many people during the pandemic, 
And yet, what I want to highlight is the reception to this movie among American audiences. Because this was a piece of art. It's a production. It's a, it's a dramatization. And even though the film was all takes place in one room, the reality is that Bo Burnham did not live in one room for all that time. That was an outbuilding in his backyard. He went in and made, had coffee and slept in his house. And, you know, he had his life there. But he filmed the movie as if he was stuck in this room. So a lot of people were like, wow, that's exactly what it feels like. The other thing among American audiences is that people did not respond to the movie just as an art form, but as if this was a cry for help from Bo Burnham himself. And people could not distinguish, in many cases, what was art and representation and what was real. And they responded to it as if, this guy needs our intervention and help right now. Now, what's fascinating about this is this is really how, in the same way, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching, ends. Where Jesus is asking us to distinguish between what is real and what looks real. And asking us, are you for real? Is your faith for real? And it's hard to tell the difference. And here's what Jesus does. Uh, very briefly, four parables, two ways, one major point. So he tells these four brief parables, right? There are two gates. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. The narrow gate leads to life. The broad gate leads to death. There's two sheeps, right? There's the real sheep and those are wolves that look like sheep. There are the two trees. Both of them produce fruits. And there are the fruits that are good and the fruits that are bad. And then finally, two houses. You know, the wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains came down, the floods came up. The rains came down, the floods. And the house on the rock stood, right? You know your stuff, right? I knew you were with me this morning, right? And the, the, one, the, the foolish man who built his house on the you see, you know it, right? And the rains came down, the floods came up, right? And the house on the sand went. You get to say splat in church. Great, right? Yeah, right. But each of these are a story that tells us there are two ways. There's a way to life and a way to death. And what's fascinating about this is a lot of times people look at the Bible and they say, oh, what you're saying is there's a hard way and there's an easy way. There's a hard way, and of course, everything with God's got to be hard, so that's, that's the right way. And the easy way, that's the, that's the way of the world. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Or, or people look at this and say, oh, I get it. So there's the righteous good people, and there's the partiers, right? There's the, the upright and those who are pagans. And again, no, that's not what's being described here. In each of these examples... The comparison is between something that looks really good but is not real and something that looks really good and is real. The sheep and the false sheep, both of them look like sheep. The house that's built on the rock and the sand from the ground up look great. The part you can't see under the ground is the problem. Right? There's a distinction here between what's real and what's not. And this is the well, some of Jesus' scariest teaching. Right? Listen to verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's some that are real, and there's some that are not. But this is not like a new point in the sermon. Now, many of you have been around a lot of churches. You've sat under a lot of people like me, and you know how sermon goes, right? Sermon goes, 
introduction, like funny story. Then we go like multiple points and then a conclusion, but a conclusion that relates back to the beginning and the, all the parts of the sermon. It's not like I'm preaching, and if I do a sermon on prayer, for example, and at the end I'm like, so therefore go and recycle. You'd be like, I don't understand that conclusion. It doesn't make sense. So it may feel like Jesus is sort of causing us whiplash, but the reality is this has been exactly what's been going on throughout the entire sermon. Jesus begins this sermon saying, your righteousness has to surpass those of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's like, there's a way of doing the religious acts, the rituals of religion, that looks good from the outside, giving, praying, serving, and yet is done, on the one hand, for the applause of other people, on the other hand, is done for God. Or there's the people who have a log in their eye and know it, and the ones who have a log in their eye and they don't know it. See, over and over, this entire sermon, not just the ending, has been about this point. There are two ways. There's a way that leads to life and a way that leads to death. And the question is, how do we know? How do we know if we have the right, that righteousness which surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees? Jesus is sort of asking this main question at the end. Are you for real? And he gives us, if, if today is like the last one in the Sermon now, let's treat it like it's final exam. Some of y'all are students, or you've been students recently. So, you know, at the end of the class, you get a final exam. And Jesus is giving us a final exam. And there are three questions on the exam. Only three. Only three. You got three this morning. We're and so we're going to look at the truth test, the obedience test, and the love test. That's where he's taking us. So let's look at the truth test. Two of these little mini parables have to do with truth. There's the one about the houses, and there's the one about the gates. So the gates parable goes like this. There's a narrow gate that leads to life. There's a broad gate that leads to death. The house parable goes like this. There's a foundation for your life and house that's true, and there's a foundation that's false. Now, none of y'all really reacted to what I just said, because I just said a bunch of bad words in church. I said a bunch of things that are highly offensive. I mean, if you're paying any attention, you got a pulse in this culture? For me to say something narrow, do we want to be associated with something narrow? Anybody like to be called narrow-minded? No, that's an insult, right? Or what about this? To say something is true and something else is false. Man, that may be the biggest sin in our culture to tell somebody what they believe in is false. Do you hear how offensive this is? Jesus is saying there's a narrow way and there's a true way. And there is a truth with a capital T and there's a narrow way of getting in. So this is like, everybody's like, yuck, I don't want that. So let's give the alternate parables that we'd rather have. This is the alternate parables that our culture would rather have. Anybody know the one about the blind men and the elephant? The one about the blind men and the elephant is like, there's a bunch of blind men and they come and they, they're all... They've been told, oh, there's an elephant over here. So, you know, they're going to go and figure out what an elephant's like. And so one of them grabs the tail and says, oh, I know what an elephant's like. An elephant is like a rope because they have the tail. One of them's like, no, no, no. Uh, an elephant is like a wall because they're touching the elephant's side. And they know, I can't push this. One of them's like, oh, no, no, you guys got it all wrong. An elephant is like a palm leaf because they've got the elephant's ear and it's big and floppy. Another one's like, oh, no, you're wrong. I've got, the elephant is like a hose. 
because they've got the trunk. No one's like, no, no, an elephant is like a sword because they have the elephant's tusk. Now, here's how the parable goes. That's what all religions of the world are like. Each of them are blind. Each of them are actually looking at the same thing. Now, that sounds really awesome and open-minded and so PC until you realize the arrogance of the parable. Because it's being taught from the one person who says, all of you are blind and I alone have sight. And I can see that they're all just the same. Or here's another parable, the mountain. This is how this one goes. God, whatever God is, is at the top of the mountain. And all religions are just different pathways up the mountain. And all of you are kind of like finding your way up and you're, you're, get, you're making your way to the top. All good people who want to, who do all the good things, can get to the top. Now again, sounds so great until you realize that one person who's telling the story is the one person who says, and I of all of you have Google Maps downloaded in my brain. And I can see how foolish you are, thinking you have some kind of capital T truth. Here's the broad way that sounds nice and open-minded and PC. All good people go to heaven. And they can even look in this passage, right? They could say, ha-ha, Jesus said, verse 12, what do we look, look, in your, look in your passage, what is verse 12 commonly called? Look at it. You got a bulletin? The golden rule, right? Treat other people as you'd like to be treated. That's the way. So let's play out that hand. Because this is what our culture says. The broad way is, the inclusive way, the open-minded way, is to say all good people can find God if they just treat each other nicely. Right? Um, let's play out that hand. Here's the question then. How much golden rule do you need to do in your life in order to find salvation? How much do you need to do? So was, when I was in high school, and I, know, I think the grading system's changed, but 70 and over was passing. Under 70 was failing. I think it now it's at 60. Yeah, okay, some of y'all nodded. Right. So 70 and over was passing. But what that meant was if you got a 69 or you got a 49, doesn't matter. You're both failing, right? Both of those are failing grades. Uh, apply that to living by the golden rule as the way to salvation. All good people go to heaven. So how much golden rule do you need to do in order to qualify you to go to heaven? See, how much, how do you know if you get a passing grade in that? I mean, does it, doesn't it feel a little arbitrary? If God is measuring us by this, if this is the way to salvation is how much golden rule you do, then here's the problem. What if I get a 69 in obeying the golden rule? And I'm out just like the person who was real, a real jerk, who got a 49. That doesn't seem fair. That seems actually really narrow. You mean I got to perform my way and I never really know how well I'm doing? That's the broad way, which is actually really narrow. Listen to Jesus, though. Jesus has a narrow way, which is really spacious. See, this is what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate. Here's the narrow gate. There's a gate before there's a way. See, the world's definition of like, be a good person, is there's a way, and if you do enough, you get into the gate. But Jesus says, no, there's a gate. Salvation through Christ alone. And that's really narrow-minded to say that. Right? That's really, really narrow. But there is a 
gate first. And what does Jesus say in John 10? I'm the gate. What does he say in John 14? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is, here's the, the hidden thing about the gospel. The gospel, yes, it's super narrow. Salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. He's the gate. That's the way in. And yet it's the broadest kind of narrowness. Why? Because anybody can get in. This is why the Bible tells you, hey, there is no cause for boasting. God is not measuring based on our performance. He's measuring on Jesus' performance. By contrast, if you're on the like, hey, anybody can get there. Just be a good person. What that says is there's no rest for you. You're always performing, and you never know if you've done enough. And it's actually the broadest way that sounds um, open-minded, and yet it's very terrifying because you never know. So, question, how'd you do on the first part of the exam? The, uh, the, the, the uh, truth test. Did you do okay on the truth test? All right, let's look at number two, the obedience test. Obedience test. Notice the language of Jesus here in verse 24. Which house is built on the rock? Here's what Jesus says. The wise man who hears these words and does them. Or verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In Greek, when you want to emphasize something, there was no bold or italics or underline in the parchments like there is in your computer, right? There's no way to emphasize text. And so when you read in Greek, the way they did that was by saying the same word multiple times. This is why Jesus, when he taught, would say, truly, truly, I say to you. He's not stuttering. <laughs> He's saying, really important here. When uh, Martha of Bethany is running around doing all this stuff, Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. Right? He's really trying to get her attention. So when Jesus says here that these people, these false disciples will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? It means that they know who Jesus is. They know theology about Jesus. They know lots of words of Jesus, but they don't know him. I grew up in Kingsport, Tennessee, northeast corner of Tennessee, uh, at a Methodist church. And next door to our church was a Church of Christ congregation and had a youth director in the church whose name was Rich Mullins. And I grew up around the late Rich Mullins. I grew up as he was going from youth director to contemporary Christian musician. I bought my first Rich Mullins tape from Rich Mullins, as well as the bright yellow sweatshirt that went along with it that I probably wore all during middle school and high school. I bought that from Rich. He did retreats for my youth group. I've been on a hike, me and a couple of friends, with Rich Mullins. I've probably seen him in a concert a dozen times. I had a bootleg tape a cassette tape of a bunch of his songs that weren't released until years later. I know all of his words. I know lots of stuff about Rich. I know a lot of his mannerisms. And yet, when Rich died in a Jeep accident, I wasn't invited to the funeral. Why is that? Because I'm a Rich Moans groupie. I'm a good Rich Moans groupie. I know lots of things about Rich. I love Rich. But I wasn't invited because his family, if I had said, hey, what about me? They would have been like, um, depart from us, for he never knew you. <laughs> right? There's a difference 
There's a difference between being a groupie and being one who knows. Right? The groupie. A lot, of, a lot of people are Jesus groupies. A lot of people know his lyrics, been to his shows, know lots of stuff around, about him, have been a lot of time around his people. But it's another thing to know him. And this is the measure that Jesus says how you know him. And it's interesting. He says this. You do what he says. You do his will. You obey his commands. By contrast, look here. The ones who don't know him, he says in verse 23, he calls them lawless. Did you see that? Lawless. Now that is an interesting term because I've just been saying that these are people who look like Christians, who do all the good stuff, who know all the stuff about God. Right? And it's hard to distinguish the true from the false. And yet they are lawless. What can that mean? Well, this is what it means. This, this is a person who's made Jesus mostly in charge of their life. Hey, I'll surrender most of my life to you. But I sort of want to remain in control. Imagine if you're a business owner, you got a friend, and you're like, hey, I, I'm going to let you run my business but I'm going to reserve the right to veto your decisions when I want to or change the direction of the company. Well, who's really in charge of the company? Is it your friend or you? It's really you. So, you know, if you're a person who's like, hey, Jesus, you can have 90% of my life, but I want to remain in control of the other 10%, who's really calling the shots in your life? You are. You're asking Jesus to obey your laws to do what you want him to do. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, Lord of all in your life, then he's not Lord at all in your life. See, that's not obedience to him. That's not submission to him. That's agreement with him. I agree with Jesus as long as it suits my interests. You're saying, Jesus, you can't have the final say. You know, I'm not going to give you all of my relationships and all of my money and all of my time and all of my stuff, and it's yours to direct. You're saying, well, I want to still be in control of it. I want to still be in control of it. I'm not saying, now, hear me right, I'm not saying that, like, to be a Christian, you have to have it all together. <laughs> you have to be perfectly obedient in everything. I mean, haven't you listened to me? A lot of you have been here a lot during the this series and the Sermon on the Mount. I have confessed to you over and over again all my failings, or a lot of my failings, as your pastor and sins and shortcomings and inconsistencies. Of course we're not holding up perfection. Of course we're not. But listen, these false sheep, they serve God. Um, both, of, both of these are religious. Both of them look obedient on the outside. Both are doing good works. Didn't we do all this stuff in your name? But it's really, Jesus is saying, this has got to go deeper for you. Some of you are like, wait, it sounds like you're saying that if we don't live obedient lives where we obey his commands, we won't go to heaven. No, I'm not saying that, but Jesus is. Jesus is saying that. You say, well, I thought we were saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. Yes, but it's never just a faith alone. It's it's faith that's never alone. It's proven in our lifestyle that wants to follow him. Right? There's a gate, and then there's a way. The narrow gate, and then the way. It's demonstrated in a heart that is surrendered 
and is surrendering to Jesus. So, question, how'd you do on the obedience test? It's a lot harder, isn't it? Last one, the love test. Consider the two trees parable. When Jesus talks about the two trees, don't miss this. It's not like he's describing, okay, here's this incredible tree over here with bright red gala apples, ding, right, like gleaming, you know, this looks delicious. And over here is this nasty looking tree with shriveled fruit. He's saying, no, no, there are two trees. There's one with the delicious looking red gala apples, and there's another one with delicious red looking gala apples. And what's the difference? The difference is what's on the inside. Is the tree good fruit that if you eat it, it will make you healthy? Or is it poisoned? Is there something in this that's actually poisonous? Again, you get the point? Jesus is not talking about the religious versus the pagans. He's not describing like, oh, there's this guy who stays home from church and smokes dope and listens to heavy metal records backwards so he can hear what Satan's telling him to do. And then there's Christians. Right? He's not saying, oh, there's the woman who loves her neighbors and there's the woman who wants to knife her neighbor's tires. No, he's saying both of these look good on the outside. Both of them look Lord, Lord. They know the theology. Both of them look obedient. Didn't we do all these things in your names? But it's only on looking on the inside that there's a difference. So what does that mean, look on the inside? How do we do that? Well, here's where the parable of the sheep is really helpful. Because Jesus says one of the traits of the false sheep is that they are, look at this, verse 15, they are ravenous. Now, that's a word I use once a week every Sunday after preaching two services. I go back home, and I'm like, I'm ravenous, right? I want to eat. I am so hungry. I burn a lot of calories doing this up here. So I'm starving, Right? And Jesus is saying that's a characteristic of a false sheep. They want to be filled up. They want to be filled up. They're hungry for something. These are people who are doing the religious things, who know all the right language, but it's the purpose of getting something for self. It's besides God, being filled up with something besides God. Um, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen this is, for a lot of people, the praise of others. Like giving in such a way so that you get applause from other people. Praying in such a way so that you get the favor of others, right? Other people are like, man, you're such a great Christian. Jesus said, that's your own reward if that's what you got, right? You can do good works for God or to gain something for God, from God. These are people who don't want God. They want God's benefits. In fact, the word here can be used to mean extortion in Greek. Like, God, I've done these things, and now you have to reward me. These false sheep serve God, but it was never for God. It's never out of love for God. It's because they want something from God to make their lives work. They've done a ritual they thought satisfied him. They've, done some, uh, they've served in the nursery. They've done, led a community group. They've done all the things, and God owes them. And again, in this, in this passage, Jesus says, you know, these people will stand before the Lord and go, like, didn't we do all this? Didn't, didn't we read the Bible studies? Didn't we get baptized? Didn't our pastor say, you're such a great part of our church? And yet Jesus says to them, I never knew you. 
There was a lot of ritual and religion, but there wasn't love. So here's the question. This is a hard question. Do you love God? Not do you like God or like the things of God or church is a great hobby for you, but do you love God? Do you love God in secret? Do you love God when nobody's watching behind closed doors? St. Tim of the Keller, you know, he puts it this way. He puts it this way. He says, is Jesus beautiful to you or is Jesus just useful to you? You know, God is useful as like an accessory on your car or it's like an app on your phone. You pull it out, you use it when you need it, but it is entirely optional. Is God like that for us? You know, is he, is he useful? Uh, a God who's useful can sort of be molded to fit into the spare space in our lives or molded around our moods or molded around our attitudes and opinions. He doesn't take up that much space. But a beautiful God invades everything. He invades our space. He invades the empty spaces when you're driving in the car and you're like, wow, this is who you are. He invades the empty space where you're just doing those mindless activities and you're like, you, you, God, you're real. You know, a beautiful God captures our imagination and leaves us wanting more. This is why some people can't imagine heaven as a place where we spend eternity and we're always discovering more about who God is and his character. And we're like, that's satisfying because he's that satisfying. Like, you mean there's more? Have you ever read the Bible and you're like, wow, I, there's more. See, a beautiful God to us is one where we keep going like, more, there's more. And it's more compelling and my heart is drawn in and I want more. So again, the question for us, here's the love test. Do you love God or do you love the benefits of God? You know, the things that God can sort of take care of. The things that God can like, you're getting like, okay, I'm going to entrust this to you, but not the rest of it. You know, or I'm, you're optional. See, this is the love test. Do you love God? So here's the deal. Okay, time out on the sermon. Here's the conclusion. Um, this is the craziest final exam you've ever taken. So I know a lot of y'all have taken a lot of final exams and you've done okay. And, and you may, what's funny about the end of this final exam is that Jesus is not out to flunk us. Otherwise, he never would have told us this. He would have gotten to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and be like, now get out of here, all of you. Just get out of here. Right? Do you understand what Jesus is doing? He, he's not out to flunk us. He's welcoming us. He's inviting us. Hey, come on. Let's go. Step in. You know, this is like, this is like the craziest teacher in school who like you flunked the final and the teacher's like, okay, now have I got a deal for you. You're not going to believe it. Don't leave. We're not done. We're just getting started. So if you find that you failed the truth test this morning, you're like, I don't really know if I like this whole Christianity being a narrow thing. This cheer up because here's what Jesus is saying to you. Guess what? You're invited you to come in. Come in the narrow gate. I'm not sending you away. I'm inviting you in. Or if you failed the obedience test this morning, if you're like, man, oh, here's what Jesus is saying to you. That's great. That's so great. 
You know, it's like when Jesus goes and approaches Peter, he's washing the nets, and Peter's like, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus is like, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Like, I want to take you places you've never imagined. Let's go. Or if you failed the love test this morning, good news, you're in the right place. (laughs) You're in the right place. Uh, That's okay, too, because Jesus loves people who come to him because they are so used to loving his benefits. And he's like, there's so much more. There's so much more. And they weren't like, oh. See, no one's being sent away today. This is, it's like Jesus is saying, okay, okay, so you failed the exam. You failed the truth test, the obedience test, the love test. But guess what? I've got a full ride scholarship to you to play football at a Division I school. What, Jesus? What's this going to cost me? I, I told you it was a full ride scholarship. It's not going to cost me anything. Oh, yeah, it's going to cost you everything. I, you know, I'm inviting you to come play football with me in a Division I school. I'm going to. I'm going to work you harder than you've ever imagined. It's going to cost you everything to come and follow me. And yet, I'm going to take you places that you could never have imagined. You ready? Are you in? I mean, do you hear the invitation of this this morning? The invitation at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is not go away. It's come here. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to you how hard it is to read your word sometimes. It's like a mirror that shows us things that we don't want to see, tells us things about ourselves we don't want to hear. This is a hard word for us this morning. We find all of us lacking, all of us failing in many ways. And yet, Lord, we thank you that this is not a go away, but a come in. This is an invitation, not a rejection. Lord, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters as we gather in this room this morning, we sit under your word. We pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to continue to take steps toward you, to hear in this an invitation to a new life and a depth of a life with you. I pray, Father, that you would confirm these things in us. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word together in song. Would you stand?